<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of Digital Grocer. This is your host, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies, Sylvain Perrier. And joining me in the studio today is Mercatus's Senior Director of Marketing, Mark Ferris. Hello, everyone. And Scotty's at the board. And uh, Scotty doesn't know, in this case, this one does, Kevin Glenn. Hey, how's it going? Mark, I have yep. to do a shout out to our friends at Diavol, which is uh, aluminum free. Good to know. It's good to know. It's a new fresh taste. <laughs> and I wish they were our sponsors because I am drinking these bottles like there's no tomorrow. It's for fast relief of heartburn, acid indigestion, gas, and upset stomach. That's the price of being the president and CEO. It is. the it, And you know what is causing this, Mark? And is that I'm the, the, afraid you're going to tell me. I, <laughs> I am definitely going to share with you. It is the... Um, the wind of change that is blowing through the grocery retail industry wow. in 2019. That that is a segue if I've ever heard Thank one. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, this was planned. This was planned. <laughs> it, it wasn't. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know, I just love the taste of this because it's uh, it's a new fresh taste. I didn't, so that's why I'm enjoying it. We have enjoyed an amazing break yep. over the holidays. Yep. We wrapped up episode 10 just before that, mm -hmm. where we we were interviewing Warren Schulberg. Yep. And things have materialized and changed in the industry in such such a short period of 30 days. Correct. Right? We've seen the folks over at Whole Foods make the tremendous leap and decide to move away from Instacart. Mm -hmm. We are differently, Mercatus is privileged to be having conversations with other retailers in the space that are considering the exact same thing. Yep. We saw the announcement of Kroger partnering with Microsoft to kind of create this retail platform, mm -hmm. uh, retail as a service, as a service, mm -hmm. a RAS, I think it's being coined, not as a necessarily as a platform as a service. Mm -hmm. So that will be interesting. So, and we're on, on the verge of hitting the NRF 2019, the big show in New York city next week, actually this weekend, this weekend, yep. and which is apparently going to be quite the event yes. uh, in terms of conversations and kind of seeing the new emerging technologies and the startups and so on. So it's quite excited. So, you know, kind of talk about this subject, you know, this wind of change. We wanted to bring back our very first guest, Britton Ladd, who is a visionary extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. He's an expert at, at a lot of things, e-commerce, operations, contributes significantly to Forbes.com. Correct. He's the guy that I go to when I'm perusing my social networks, uh, specifically uh, LinkedIn not just because of what he writes, because it's so insightful, is to actually read the comments coming in from the other people in the industry, whether they're on the technology side, the vendor side, or just purely on the retail side, mm -hmm. to kind of, it really kind of, his content elicits feedback, which is kind of interesting. and gives us a bit of a, a preview of what's, what's happening there. And he's joined us on the phone. Yes, he kicked off our season with, with our pilot. He did. And he's gonna be closing our season with this uh, episode. Even more amazing. Britain, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. It's really fun to be back. Thank you. So Britain, you're at the forefront of, of seeing what's happening in the retail space. From your perspective, what do you see in your crystal ball that's kind of making you go, hmm, that's interesting? Uh, let's touch on something you just mentioned, and that's the partnership between Kroger and Walmart and Microsoft. And I'm not surprised at all that Microsoft is working with these companies. The thing that makes me go, hmm, is the fact that Kroger and Microsoft and Walmart are so giddy 
let everyone know what it is they're doing. So they're unveiling stores, they're talking about a pick the light system, they're talking about what they're doing with machine learning and AI and all these other things. What these executives are saying is, we believe what we're doing with Microsoft really is what's gonna help us achieve tremendous amount of success in the future, because we're basically creating a new retail experience. Now, I don't dispute that that may be true, but what I question, why in the world do you want to let your biggest competitor know what you have planned? Why do you want your biggest competitor, meaning Amazon, know what technology you're using, how you're going to deploy it in stores? You literally, what Kroger and Walmart and Microsoft are doing is saying, you know what, we're planning to attack you. It's gonna happen on July 4th at 7 a.m. But we don't think you're going to be ready. And I'm really surprised at how willing Microsoft and Walmart are to talk about what they're planning on doing, what they are doing and what they will do. And so that's something that jumps out at me immediately. I know for a fact that internally at Amazon, they are taking copious amounts of notes and really researching what's going on in the industry, especially with those three companies what Amazon is doing, frankly, is making sure they don't go down that same path. And so that's just one of many things that jumps out of me. In terms of 2019, really what 2019 is going to be is exactly what I wrote in June of 2017. Amazon is going to need 2018 and 2019 to really get their foundation in place see that Amazon is going to more than likely open up a new format Whole Foods store and you'll see Amazon unveil some new technology in the store. Pretty confident that you'll see Amazon has an ability to eliminate cashiers even in a larger retail space. And they'll use 2019 as the year where they really start to perfect how they're going to operate store assortment and technology. So those at the beginning of our discussion are just a few things that I'm seeing. I found it interesting equally with respect to the announcement coming out of Microsoft and Kroger. And, and part of me, you know, when I put my investor hat on, is it, or board of directors, call it whatever that might be, is it a way for them to elicit support from the investor community to say, Hey, this isn't, we're not, we're not that much at risk here. We've partnered with the best of breed that could be available to us in, in a short order. I also think that, you know, I know for a fact that Microsoft really caters to the retailers out there, bringing a lot of those CIOs and VPs of technology up to Redmond to work with them. I wonder if this is more of a Microsoft type project where they're gaining learning from Kroger and exchanging some sort of cloud infrastructure, free services, a way, a way to better position Microsoft and maybe less so, less so Kroger, I think. In 2019, to me, I think what kind of is interesting, I believe we're going to see probably two things occur. So we're going to see a pendulum swing back from being ultra e-commerce focused ultra delivery focused and click and collect. I think those businesses have strong toeholds in the industry. I think they need to mature operationally, mature from a marketing perspective. The pendulum will swing back to the in-store experience. 
And, you know, I just uh, did that magazine interview this morning where I kind of mentioned to the reporter and said, the whole Amazon Go format, and in Britain, you just talked about it, their ability to do things at scale in an in-store environment, which will lead to lower labor costs, less friction for the consumer, better experience overall. I think that some retailers are going to have to learn how to redeploy quality of service from a technology perspective inside the boxes that they've historically invested in. The second thing is this is going to force retailers to be truly omni-channel. Now, not omni-channel from the technology perspective, but what's the in-store experience like vis-a-vis mobile and everything else that goes along with that, right? So, you know, and we're going to see a lot of things rehashed in 2019. Scan and go, we're going to see it rehashed. And, you know, uh, Walmart abandoned that in May of 2018. But I think we're going to see that rehash. We know Kroger has a successful program where they moved away from their own hardware to a mobile app. So we're going to see kiosks being rehashed digital displays and so on. And I suspect someone's going to start talking about RFID. The third thing that we're going to see, I think in 2019, is this notion that on the e-commerce side, there's been too much of a rush of an investment into large scale marketplaces and delivery services to the detriment of who owns the data, the brand, the experience. I'm going to make a bit of a prediction here. What I've not seen yet, because I've not had the chance to test it, what happens to the Whole Foods shopper data within the Instacart app once the logo is removed outside the app? So to Instacart, that's still a dollar value associated to that consumer that registered in the app. Are they going to try to convince the consumer to migrate to another brand? Are they going to lower their delivery fees? What are they going to do? And that that reaction alone in the market, there's a bunch of retailers watching this to understand who owns my data, my customer data, and what do I do with it? So I think it's going to be, a, I, mean, I hate to use this word, but it's a bit of a come to Jesus moment in 2019 for a lot of people. And I think we're going to see kind of these <clears throat> things materialize. Britton, what's your sense in terms of kind of the in-store experience and the play that you're seeing out there in the market? I agree with really what you just stated. The thing that 2019 is going to be is really a re-leveling. It's going to be an opportunity where retailers take a step back and they realize, you know what? 2017, Amazon makes the announcement they're acquiring Whole Foods. We panicked and we jumped at the only company we thought could do the job and that was Instacart. So they, all these retailers reach out to Instacart, sign these agreements. All they cared about was having the ability for customers to order groceries online, have someone who could pick the groceries and then deliver the groceries. And all the retailers were happy and saying, look, we've really created a firewall. We're preventing Amazon from taking our customers. Problem is that Amazon was never going to be a threat to any grocery retailer until around 2020, 2021. And so a lot of retailers, frankly, just panicked. And they're now realizing, you know what? Maybe we signed up with the wrong provider. Data especially is something that's becoming very critical. And a lot of retailers are realizing just who owns the data. And as all of you know, I write these articles for Forbes. I wrote one article about the Trojan horse. I wrote it last year. 
simply ask this question. Why would any grocery retailer sign an agreement with Instacart when all you're really doing is teaching Instacart your business, you're teaching Instacart your strengths and weaknesses, and more importantly, you give all your data to Instacart. Instacart owns that data. The retailers didn't have platforms and systems set up to where they could take data. And frankly, most of the retailers never asked for it. Well, now they're realizing they made a mistake in doing that. I think in 2019, you're going to see an awful lot of boards of directors, an awful lot of CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, and they're really going to be asking internally, who owns this? And are we at a disadvantage? Because we not only are not owning our data, but we're really not doing anything with the data. And that's the thing I think is really going to be interesting. Because there are many companies who have signed agreements with Instacart retailers there are literally some retailers that signed up with instacart and they do no more than 10 orders a day for the the online grocery ordering is less than one percent of their total sales so why do they need a third party to do this for them and even these larger companies kroger aldi costco and especially sam's club these companies, I think, are working behind the scenes to be able to take over their own destiny. I think they're really doing everything they can to, to take this data, to take ownership. But it's the small to medium-sized grocery retailers. It's those independents. And I think what they're really starting to do is say, who should we have an agreement with? We signed up with Instacart. That may not be strategic to us. So what platform, what company can we reach out to, to where we really have some autonomy, we own the data, but we're with a, a vendor who actually is teaching us how to pick orders. It's teaching us how to stage, how to meet customer demand. That's what I'm really expecting to see in 2019. So I agree with you completely. Data is becoming more and more important to these retailers. And a lot of retailers are realizing they're giving away an awful lot of data to a company I'm convinced Instacart is going to become a competitor. Instacart has $1.5 billion of cash on hand. I see no reason why Instacart can't move into distribution, private label. I see no reason why Instacart can't make some acquisitions along the way. We know they can raise capital. And at a $7.6 billion valuation, they're becoming more valuable than many of the retailers they serve. So there's a lot of interesting things going on out there. Yeah, I would agree. And, and you know, what you said elicits a bit of a story and you know, I'm a bit of a raconteur. So <laughs> I remember being, this is, this is years ago and I was in the Southwest and I was visiting stores just out of the blue. I was on, I think I was on vacation at the time. I was not, there was no client work per se. I walk into a retailer who I know at the time very well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dressed in summer attire. It's very warm and you know, I, I bump into the CIO, really nice gentleman. And I'm watching Amazon Fresh people walking, or Amazon Direct, I think whatever the name of the service was at the time, walking back and forth in and out of the store and they're picking and packing stuff. And I'm like, hey, what's what's going on? Oh, you know, we're doing, we're doing a multi-year pilot with Amazon. We're listed on their mobile app. They're, you know, they're picking packing out of our stores to deliver orders within an hour. And I, I'm like, well, that's interesting. I said, how comfortable are you 
with allowing a company like Amazon to learn your business. And he kind of chuckled and he said, oh, no, they've assured me that they will never become a competitor. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, you know, this is the classic Trojan horse example here. They are meticulously learning your business in terms of what moves, when does it move, what's the right price point to create a tipping point with the consumer. And sure enough, within a year after that encounter, Whole Foods is acquired and he was walked out of his own company. And rightfully so, because if I was a shareholder or was on the board of directors, I would have raised probably a red flag and maybe, you know, being naive at the time, not necessarily myself, but being in that role, I would have agreed to do. I have always maintained that when Amazon enters a business, it doesn't enter a business for the sake of just tapping consumers. They systematically create long-term platforms with what they do. Take their AWS infrastructure, EC2, their Elastic Cloud Computing Infrastructure. They're literally taking a piece of business from all of us, quite frankly. And Google Cloud and Azure, they just don't stack up. So you look at what they've done with their marketplace, their e-com infrastructure. Yeah, it started off as books, but kind of migrated to, to being a marketplace for just anyone to sell anything. My view is they spent 10 years trying to crack food and they learned, and then they turned around and said, the only way we're going to solve this and make it profitable is we're going to buy our best customer. And they did. They bought Whole Foods. And what they will create with Whole Foods is not just the largest repository of data, but is the fact that they're going to be able now to create a true retail platform. And so when I see the announcement coming out from the folks over at Kroger and, and Microsoft, as much as I think it may be to appease shareholders out there in the, the investment community, I think if somebody is retaliating to say, well, hold on here, Amazon's not going to be the only one in this game here that's going to be able to, to be able to do this because you know, Mark and I have talked about this. What stops Amazon from turning around once they've established this whole play of being able to service their best customer to turning around and being B2B? do a B2B play on food mm -hmm. and grow that line of business. And I agree with Britain with, with your thesis around you know, retailers early on kind of jumping into the fray with the marketplaces that are out there, you know, specifically Instacart. The notion of e-commerce, you know, for food version 2.0 years ago, post web van was transactional model, charge your customers X, Technology providers take a cut of that transaction fee up, up to the shoppers. Very pervasive for a retailer to jump on board because low transaction volume, high labor cost inside the stores, infrastructure costs, so on and so on. Version 3.0 comes out, 4.0, which is where Mercatus's genesis was really essentially that 3.0 model, which is a sub subscription model You know, to the retailer. Here's how much it's going to cost on a quarterly basis and unlimited customers, unlimited products listed and so on. But that doesn't necessarily cure the whole labor element behind it. And that the fear that retailers have in not knowing how to market these solutions. And then suddenly you have the Instacart solution that comes in, which creates a bit of a false sense of security because, hey, we're going to market this for you and we're going to take care of the labor component. But behind the scenes, we're, we're taking over your data. We're taking over this. 
You have retailers waking up right now in America, even through the shutdown, and saying, I have a revenue line from e-commerce now north of $100 million, and I don't control it. I don't control its destiny. And worse than that, if I was to walk away from it, I don't know how to walk away from it anymore. And so what happens is the investments retailers have made into their brick and mortar have been commoditized. So why invest in nice stores when your best customer is migrating out of it? And at the same time, I don't know anymore who my customer is, which I think in my world would be cannibalizing trade and co-op dollars that the retailers could get be getting from CPGs. It renders some loyalty programs completely ineffective and so on. So really at the end of the day, what have you done? I get it for some of these small retailers, regional retailers, it just makes plain sense. They don't want to do it. They don't want the headache. They don't have the knowledge. We have some big names that have jumped into the fire. When now we see Kroger and Walmart that haven't really jumped in and they're doing their own thing, I think that ability in 2019 to innovate, it's got to be the first one. You got to cut the umbilical cord really quick. So, Britain, when you juxtapose what's happening in North America, are you hearing the same stories in Europe and maybe in South America? Are they are they kind of along the same lines or are they further ahead or are they behind? What are you, what are you seeing out there in, outside of our continent? They're primarily behind. That's actually an advantage in a way because what they're doing is watching what's going on in the U.S. and they want to make sure they're not just copying, they're really wanting to learn. And so some of the larger grocery chains out there, so example, X5, the largest grocery retailer in Russia that I work with, they have 12,000 stores. They could have easily just copied what Kroger's been doing or Amazon's been doing, but they've really been taking an awful lot of time to evaluate what's working, what's not working, where's the industry going? And they're laying down some good bets in terms of technology, uh, an in-store platform for them to do their own picking, their own grocery, they're implementing dark stores. So, so I actually think they're going to be in a really good position in the next several months. South America, they're a little farther behind, but it's a completely different customer model. And so they're really not concerned about having the best of the best in technology. They don't really worry about e-commerce as much. Whenever I think of grocery retailing, it's the U.S., the United Kingdom for sure, China, and it's Russia, and then slowly but surely India is coming along. But you know, really all points are directed to the U.S. because it's the U.S. that's really leading the world in many ways of this is what we're doing in technology, what we're doing in supply chain. And of course, because of Amazon, everyone is watching what Amazon is doing with groceries. And the thing that I keep saying to people is Amazon has no desire to be a grocery retailer. Amazon wants to reimagine the grocery and the food experience. That's why I keep really, keep, keep really cautioning people to say, don't think for a second you know what Amazon is going to do. Because if you think Amazon is going to continue to act as a grocery retailer and maintain the status quo at Whole Foods, I can assure you that's going to be incorrect. Amazon wants to reimagine that entire experience. And that's why I think we're going to see some pretty cool things coming out over the next couple of years. 
But then it puts us in the same position we were in 2017. Three of the traditional grocery retailers are gonna feel, my gosh, we're behind. And then you're gonna have these retailers jumping around trying to copy what Amazon is doing. And again, I think you're gonna find some retailers are making some bad bets. I think the smartest thing a grocery retailer can do is relax, step back, reevaluate who are your customers, what do your customers want? How do you know who your customers are? What data are you using? What platform are you leveraging to have interaction engagement? Roan, are you using a third party? How do you know your customers are happy? What differentiates you from everybody else? And I think retailers just need to go back to the fundamentals a little while in 2019 to establish themselves first as a business. And all CEOs need to remember this phrase. The purpose of a business is to create a customer, not maintain customers. You're out there to create customers. And a lot of CEOs have been attracted to every shiny object. You know, you have companies like Kroger that are testing delivery with Neuro, a little robot car that looks like a toaster on wheels. There's just all kinds of crazy things that people are doing out there. And I think a lot of CEOs have become distracted. A lot of grocery retailers need to step back and say, what are we even here for? What's our purpose? And you know what? Your purpose is you have customers and you need to know what your customers want and you need to put in the best service and the best platform and the best quality. And you need to be able to, to really give them a superior customer experience. And because a lot of retailers, I think, have forgotten that, I think there's going to be a shakeup in the grocery industry in 2020. And I think we're going to start to see a lot of consolidation over the next couple of years, as I just think a lot of grocery retailers aren't going to be able to make it on their own. Yeah, I, w I would say from my perspective, to add to that, you know, clean stores, good associates, fresh produce should be just the mainstay, whatever you do. And I think 2017, 2018, historically prior to that, you would not see a lot of mainstream technology so quickly bleed into grocery retail. My cycle at the beginning of every year is kind of interesting. Go to Las Vegas, go to CES, see what's happening. Laugh at Panasonic, they're trying to beat Sony at TVs. You know, you go around the corner, 103 inches. You go around the other corner, 110 inches. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous, right? And I'm talking about TVs. And, and then you would go into other areas and you would just see this or that. And now like you go to CES and you are almost assured that when you hit New York at NRF, someone will have a prototype of something running on a new piece of hardware you saw at CES. And that makes it very confusing, very confusing for retailers. So I would take, to, to Britain's point, I would take a page out of what's happening in Europe. My conversations with a lot of the leading retailers over there is because they were the first to e-commerce, successful e-commerce. Again, to Britain's point, when volume hit, they managed the labor component by doing dark stores. They have not invested in, in micro-fulfillment centers and robotics per se, with the exception of Ocado, okay? So I'm not going to lump Ocado into a traditional retailer like a Carrefour or an Aldi or, or, or so on, or a Sainsbury but they did not sacrifice their core pillars as a business. So, but they had to invest in these monoliths of technology 
the early, early e-commerce platforms that were born out of the oracles of the world, the SAPs of the world. And those technologies are laborious to implement. They're very difficult and they don't lend to the rapid development and the exciting user interfaces that are very low friction of what we're seeing kind of born out of the, of the United States today. So the Europeans are flocking into, into North America and not just on the East Coast, they're going straight into the heartland, as I like to call it, and into California to see what's working, what's not working, and they're testing. You know, For the longest time, Tesco, the whole fresh and easy concept that went bankrupt a couple of years ago was born out of an entire R&D center Tesco operated in uh, San, not San Bernardino, but just outskirts of LAX, right, 30 minutes away. And so they had this whole test center and they were working with Safeway. And when Safeway found out that they had this test center and that relationship between Tesco and Safeway soured fairly quickly. So so the Euro- Europeans are going to go to the next level of quantum in terms of what they're doing from Europe. You know, last year I, in 2018, I spent some time in London, got to, to go experience what Sainsbury is doing and some of the other Tesco as well as some of the other smaller brands. They're still using catalogs, paper catalogs, and there's this element of freshness to it when you're a customer and you're inside the store and you're able to kind of pick what you want to buy and someone goes and gets you from behind the counter and they'll deliver it to you if it's a TV because when you're in London, bringing a LCD TV on the tube, very difficult. It's very difficult to do. In the United States, in Canada as well, maybe less in Canada. I think in Canada, we're so conservative, it's not funny. We go to bed with socks on at night. <laughs> that's not just and, because and, it's cold. And then that's in the summertime. <laughs> so you can imagine what we do in the wintertime where there's snow sits. And it's very different in the United States right now because everyone's taking like this shotgun approach. Let's, okay, so let's do micro fulfillment. Let's do autonomous robots. And then I'm having conversations around what's called faceless faceless fulfillment which you pull up to something that looks like a car wash and something throws the groceries into the back of your car and there's like there's this hyper level of wanting to automate so many different things without what's the financial backing behind it what's the sustainability of this from an operational perspective is it really going to drive value and i will tell you we will never know what amazon is truly doing they are so secretive. It is like Apple. You know, the most that we've heard lately is, you know, Tim Cook had to go on TV to talk about the decline in the stock and, you know, pointed out we make great products and the stock went up 2%. So I think we'll never know. 2019, I would agree with Britain. People are just going to relax and regulate and if the chinese economy is slowing down as much as the reporting starbucks being one of the latest one to talk about it and they would know if our five economical drivers start to dip whether it's in canada or the united states retailers better be ready mm-hmm. mark what are your thoughts i agree almost 100 percent. oh is it's that like 98 percent or is <laughs> 99, it 90, 99 99 it's, it's within tolerance oh <laughs> I'm not sure but, what, what that is, but go ahead. But the question I want to ask is to both of you is, is it too late? If you've outsourced a key component to your business, if you're a grocery retailer, can you get it back? And that outsource, do they even care Well, at this point? So, so I'll, I'll answer it first. I'll answer it from a, a marketing perspective. I think it depends on who you are and what your brand stands for. So what I mean by that is, and here's the backdrop. 
we know for a fact that the online buyer is typically the largest basket. It is the most loyal and best customer and they migrate online or they are acquired as a new customer because of the convenience factor. And it depends how long have they been using the service? Has the customer now considered everything they're buying as being strictly commoditized? i.e. a box of Tide detergent is a box of Tide detergent. I don't care where I get it. And what is their affinity with your private label? Okay. So if you're a mid-sized retailer and you have the great in-store experience and they love your private label, like a Loblaws President's Choice, most people love that brand. I think 99.99% of the people love that brand. And same with their Joe Fresh line. And there may be an opportunity to rescue yourself out of this situation. But if you've become just a commodity, then they're not necessarily buying your private label and the convenience factor trumps everything else and they don't care how much they spend. If you delist, I'm pretty sure, and you don't have a good loyalty program, pretty sure you lost your best customer. And again, it comes back to differentiation. Yeah, and you can't do that in the yeah. market context, right? Because right. You essentially you've become a fulfillment center to someone else's business model. Right. And great. Thank you very much. I'm running a business at a premium on top of what you're doing without the infrastructure costs. Britton, what do you think? Oh, I agree. I agree with what Sylvain just stated. It's There has to be some value that's going to be achieved if you're going to delist. And... Private labels, one of them, and if you're if you've become a commodity, and if your customer base is like, we really don't care about price, we just want convenience. So, is it impossible? No, but it's one of those things where you really need to have to understand what's the value to the customer if we do delist. And the thing that I would recommend is don't delist just to switch from one provider to another really leverage it as an opportunity to say, you know what, not only can we delist, but we're gonna really start to do some things transformative. We're going to use this as an opportunity to address some shortcomings in the business model. And we're gonna use this as an opportunity maybe to release a new marketing program. Maybe we're going to announce that we've created a new line of products specific to children. There's a way to add some excitement in the listing and going to someone else. You just have to be able to package it in such a way that it generates excitement. The danger is if you build up a lot of expectations that this is a good thing for customers and you're going after customers who aren't using the service, then the execution has to be there, the value has to be there, and it has to really at the end of the day be worth it. People need to be able to, you have to create something that your customers are going to be saying, wow, this was great. And they start to talk to other people about it. If you can't do that, it's one of those things where you made a bad decision. There's no easy way to get out of it. And frankly, you might as well just continue doing what you're doing for now. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, we had this conversation at a brainstorming session here at Mercatus. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong for a retailer to have a multi-pronged strategy that says, I'm going to leverage all of these quote unquote distribution channels, but I have to have at the center of this, the nucleus is control. So, and 
to positively leverage the network effect that can be created because people are congregating around these solutions. You know, I, I gave an example today at lunch with a new employee, right? We have this thing that we do here at Mercatus with new employees. We take first day, CEO takes them out to lunch or in this case, here was the third day because I was tardy. And she said, how do we leverage Facebook? And I said, well, you know, the reality is if I'm a retailer, what you should be doing is putting your private label, one item for sale through Facebook, through some sort of widget or an ad, and, and create not just a buy button, but something that elicits a reaction and automatically comes through from Facebook directly into that retailer's platform. And that's be something that should be permeated across these different solutions. But the retailer needs those mechanisms to be able to control that. Versus just, just, you know, giving them the toolbox and saying to these providers, you know, hey, how about you go figure it out for us? It has to be tremendously a partnership, one that is rooted in transparency and honesty and give and take. That used to be the mantra in this business, but that's changed. That's really changed. It is, um, it's going to be exciting, Mark. Oh, this year is going to be full of change. Absolutely. It almost keeps me up at night. <laughs> hence the, hence the day of all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, like I said, I just love the taste. So we're going to NRF. Yes. You're leaving tomorrow. We are busy yep. in which shows in the first half of 2019. We have NRF. And then after that, we have the midwinter at FMI. At FMI, we're sponsoring the dinner. Correct. Which, uh, the friends of FMI. The dinner. friends of FMI. Yes. Yeah, it's great. So we're going to be there and we're going to meet a bunch of cool people. Yep. And then I'm on NGA. NGA. And then I Shop think Talk. Shop Talk. Yep. And then, Mark, aren't we a level five sponsor for, again for Grocery Shop? We were the first to uh, sign up on the spot, mm -hmm. uh, level five again. So it's, um, it's a fantastic investment on our part because it's Grocery Shop the event mm -hmm. really brought the market to us and we're going to have some really exciting announcements come September. Yeah. And I think we have a really compelling announcement that we're making for NRF as well. This week. This week, tomorrow. some some really cool tech. Absolutely. Which I'm not going to spoil the beans uh, no. just yet. So that's going to be secret secret. Although by the time this airs, it'll be out. Scotty, you got to get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Britton, it's been amazing to have you on our show again. Uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar and Semper Fry, I think is the key word. Thank you. It's always fun to come on here. And I agree with you, 2019 is going to be interesting. And the thing I'm sure you'll agree with, and you touched on it earlier, it's not just retail, grocery retail, and we're going to start to see some interesting things. But I really think towards the end of 2019 is when we start to get an idea of what's all this food on demand really about. Companies saying, why do you need to go to the grocery store? Why do you need to go buy ingredients to take home and cook? What if we actually leverage stores to prepare food and bring it to you, it's a higher margin business for us as a grocery retailer. And then there are those companies like Zoom and others who basically are saying, you know, we can just bring you meals on the end. You never have to go to the grocery store. So I'm really waiting to start to see how some of well, because there's a tremendous impact on grocery retailers. And I think the smart grocery retailers are the ones who say, we can't just be a grocery retailer anymore. We have to become experts in food and meal. Absolutely, absolutely. Britton, how do people get a hold of you if they want to tap into uh, that crystal ball of yours? It's easy. Just reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm always checking my messages. It's very easy to reach out to me that way. 
Perfect. Thank you. Mark, quickest way for people to get a hold of us at Mercatus? Uh, it's www.mercatus.com. Uh, We're listed on all the social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. 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 Yes. And, and MySpace? MySpace. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> MySpace. What, whatever happened to MySpace? Is it still around? Uh, no. 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 That was taken care of. <laughs> Before we go, yes, this this is episode eleven, so we are ending our season one. Yes, uh, we're as you alluded to, we're going to be extremely busy over the next few weeks. Yes, well into March. Yes, so we will be kicking off season two shortly. Mark, are we doing? Are we going to do a remote maybe to, for the season two? That might be a great yeah, idea. Yeah, we could do a we could do a remote. That yes. we know we did the last one, right? Yeah, uh, with Spoon Guru. Correct. Yeah, it yeah. was a great great show. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. This is the wrap-up show for season one. Don't forget to send us your commentary and your questions via any of our social channels. Mark will make sure that it comes to the table. And stay tuned for season two, where I'm sure we're going to have some wonderful guests and some controversial topics, that things that are happening in the grocery retail space. Cheers. Cheers.